Let's take our Bibles, please. Let's head over to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, as we do just a brief Bible study this morning, we've been talking about the last few weeks, Christmas reflections, asking questions about the different characters, about the different happenstances. Let me ask you some questions that often come up about life. We've used these little ditties that people will say, why do we call the place we park driveways and places we drive, we call them parkways? Or you ask this question that shows up a lot, Why are boxing rings square? Let me ask you a couple other ones. Do people who are vegetarians eat animal crackers? What about this one? What do companies do with those styro who make the styrofoam peanuts? How do they pack the styrofoam peanuts when they ship them to somebody else? Or this one. Why is it those Brazillas, they can find a guy, but the sweetest gal can't? Or this is a question. When you're sitting in a theater-type seat, which one is your armrest? Or worse than that, what if they take your armrest, what do you do? You know, if the person assumes that. Or here's a question for you. You go to the doctors, they give you those privacy gowns, they step out of the room, then they knock, they say, are you changed? What difference does it make? When the doctor comes in, you have no privacy anyway. Or here's a question for you. Why does Allstate have a disclaimer not available in all states? Or you have this one. If pro and con are opposites, then is the opposite of progress Congress? (laughs) That makes sense, does it not? Okay. How about this one? Why do we spend all the time and money to give those kids their wonderful Christmas presents and they play with the box? Or let me ask you the more profound question. Why do we keep on buying them? Just give them a box. (laughs) Jesus has some questions that I want to ask about him. Serious questions, profound questions. Why did Jesus bother coming as a babe? When did he just come as an adult? Why why do they record all that they record in the Gospels about Jesus' life? What is it about his life, his coming, that it was in God's plan that he had to come as a babe and live all the way through to adulthood? The Bible gives us several answers. And this morning, I'm not going to stick in one passage. I'm going to do an unusual type of thing rather than an expository, just bounce around in several texts. But I want to show you why, the, why Christ came in a very simplistic fashion, but a very profound fashion because it's based on the Word of God. Jesus came, first of all, to save. Primary reason. When the angel is talking to Joseph, he makes it very clear in this Matthew 1 passage. He says, verse 21, She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. We know that this is the thought that's rampant through Scripture, that Jesus Christ came to save that which was lost. Verse after verse talks about Christ came into the world to save sinners, Paul says, of whom I am chief. We read elsewhere, we have seen and testify the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. We read in John uh, John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not but have... Then he goes on, for God so loved, he says, his son uh, did not send his son into the world to condemn, but that the world through him might be saved. We read in John 12, uh, Jesus speaking, I've come as the light to the world. Whoever, Whoever believes in me, he will not abide in darkness. We know that Christ came to save, but we also know this, he is the only one who can save us. 
the only one who can redeem us from sin because he is the only sinless person who lived a sinless lifestyle. Adam and Eve were created without sin, but they didn't live a sinless life. Jesus did. Throughout scriptures, we read that Jesus, who was born of a virgin, Matthew chapter 1, where he says in verse 20 that this child, that's, that she is conceived, this child is conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost. He didn't have that sin nature that you and I have. But he came to take away our sins in him who is no sin. We read in scripture, who the one who did no sin, there was neither deceit found in his mouth. We read that he was tempted in every point like as we are yet without sin. We read in scripture, he is the lamb. The Lamb of God who came for sacrifice without spot or blemish. We know that Scripture says He became sin for us, the one who knew no sin. Unlike any of us, Jesus Christ was born without sin and lived a sinless life. Therefore, He can be the unique person to save us from sins. And in order to do that, He voluntarily gave up His life as an adult so as to pay the price for our sins. It's clear in Scriptures that they didn't take His life. Jesus voluntarily allowed them to arrest him, to take him and put him on trial. He voluntarily allowed them to put him on the cross. He could have called 10,000 angels when they came to arrest him. And they were in the garden when the soldiers say, we came to seek Jesus. Jesus responds and says, I am he. And what happened to that 600 soldiers? They fell down flat. Jesus wasn't, wasn't a victim. Jesus was in total control, voluntarily sacrificing his life. That while we were yet sinners, he died in our place. He paid for our sins. He suffered for our sins, the just for us who are unjust, that he might bring us to God. Of his own self, he bare our sins in his own body, that we, being dead to sins should be able to live unto righteousness. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And by his stripes we benefit. We are healed. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. If the Bible goes on and talks, while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled by the death of Jesus Christ. He was delivered from the curse uh, delivered us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse. He gave himself, his life a ransom. He bought us off the auction block. He gave his life so we could be freed, who was delivered up for our offenses, raised for our justification. Why did he come to save us? To live that sinless life so that he could voluntarily give his life so that our sins could be forgiven by God the Father. But... He is unique in the sense that he will give this salvation, this forgiveness of sins to everyone who calls upon him to be their savior, who repents of their sin. He made it clear that there needs to be repentance, an admission of guilt that we don't deserve to be to heaven, that we need a savior, that if we shall confess with our mouth that he is Lord and believe in our heart that God hath raised him, he says, we shall be saved for as many received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus has made this very clear. This is the theme of the gospel. These and dozens and dozens of other verses. 
But it's this fact that Jesus is the only one who can save us, that the Bible so accurately portrays for us. It makes sure that we understand there is one mediator, only one, not a church, not a preacher, not a parent, not, a, not your, your friend, not, not some papacy or some bishop or somebody in authority. There's only one Savior. And it's not some other religious leader. It is Jesus Christ. He is the mediator. He is the only one, and there is not salvation in any other name given among men. He is the one. Nobody comes unto the Father but by Him. The vast majority of us here have at some time in our life received this gift, this gift of forgiveness, this gift of salvation. Some of you received it when you were children. Some of us received it in our teen years. Some of you have received it in the last few years. The question is, Jesus came to give his life to save you. What have you done with him? Have you accepted his free gift? If you haven't, we would plead with you, we would beg with you that this day you call upon Christ to be your Savior. He is the only one who can save you, and you need Him to be your Savior or you're not getting into heaven. But that's not the only reason Jesus came. It is the primary, the one that we all benefit, but God said in His Word that He has given us even greater riches beyond salvation. What could that possibly be? More, additional benefits that Jesus came to give to those of you who have already called upon him some additional benefits besides salvation. Jesus came not only to save, but to share. He came to share. What I mean by that is this. Except for sinning, Jesus went through an entire lifetime to experience what you experience, to share with you. Go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. We'll come back towards the Gospels in a minute. But go to Hebrews chapter 4 with me. In Hebrews chapter 4, it's describing the work of Jesus Christ, that it is far beyond the angels, that he is far greater than Moses, he is far greater than anybody else. And as the author is writing about the greatness of Jesus, he comes to this text that he writes down. In Hebrews chapter 4, I want you to jump down to verse 14 and follow along with me. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Just in case, that's a little bit hard to follow through, let me share with you a paraphrase. It's not a translation. It is a paraphrase. It is somebody writing those words in our language to help us to understand it a little bit better. This paraphrase of these same verses says this, Jesus, the Son of God, is our great high priest who has gone to heaven itself to help us. Therefore, let us never stop trusting him. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses since he had the same temptations we do, though he never once gave way to them and sinned. Let us come boldly to the very throne of God and stay there to receive his mercy and find grace to help us in times of need. Whatever the trial, whatever the temptation, Jesus came and lived as a teenager, as a young man, as an adult, to be able to relate to you, to give you the help that you need. 
when you go through difficulties. We read in Hebrews chapter 2, for in that he himself suffered when being tried, when being troubled, when through going through difficult times, he is able to succor. The word literally means to hear the cry of a child and run to help that child. He came to succor them that are also in trouble. He came to share in our experiences. What I mean by that is Jesus understands everything that you are facing. No matter what the difficulty is, no matter what the temptation is, does he understand personal heartaches? Absolutely, he had them. Does he understand family struggles when family members don't understand you, when they don't treat you the way that you think you should be treated? It happened to Jesus. He had that when his parents didn't understand. He had that happen to him when his brothers were mocking him as he tried to live out the will of God. Does Jesus understand what it's like to be elevated and have the temptation of applause? He had crowds, thousands following him. Does he understand when those crowds become fickle and all of a sudden he's on the downward side in people's eyes where he is rejected, where he is mocked? He had that happen too. Just like some of you. That all of a sudden there's applause and then there's attacks. He understands what you're going through. He understands exactly what it's like to be criticized, to be suspected of all kinds of evil. Of being, He was even suspected of being in league with Satan. He understands when you have people who wonder about you, who attack you, who question your motives. Does he understand what it's like to have loneliness? When all of a sudden you are all alone when you don't have a partner or a family is rejected or you're, you're isolated, you feel, though there's people who live next door, that you are on an island all by yourself. Jesus understands that rejection. He understands that loneliness. He who had never experienced it before, when he was on the cross, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you? He understands your loneliness. Does he understand when all of a sudden... You are tempted in to do something wrong, something evil, something that you never thought you would even dream of doing. He was under the full onslaught of Satan's attacks by Satan himself. Does Jesus understand the battles that you are going through? Absolutely. That was one of the reasons he came to be able to share with his children, those who have believed upon him, so that they could, that when they had a need, they could go to somebody that they could trust who would understand what they're going through. So Jesus came not only to save, but to share. The question for you and I who are believers, are we taking advantage of that? Do we run to him in time of help when we think to ourselves, nobody understands, nobody feels what I'm feeling, nobody can, can grasp this? He can. He can. He came to save. He came to share. But he came for another reason. He came to serve. We read in Mark chapter 10, would you flip back there with me? In Mark chapter 10, when Jesus is talking to his disciples in the gospel of Mark, yeah, Matthew, Mark, and 10, you know where 10 comes in order. Mark, Mark chapter 10, when his disciples are struggling and battling with one another over who should be the greatest, Jesus then rebukes them and he talks with them and he makes this comment to them. He says, when he heard that the twelve were in this argument, he was much displeased, and the others are much displeased with James and John. And Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles, they exercise lordship over them. 
and their great ones exercise authority upon them. What he's talking about is when people are getting in power, they often abuse their power. And it's not about serving the people, it's about benefiting themselves. Aren't you glad we don't live in that day? <laughs> and he goes on, he says, that's normal. That's in any government, that's in any uh, you know, sinful heart. But it shall not be so among you. He's talking to disciples. But whosoever will be great among you, they shall become what? Your minister. And he says, whosoever of you will be the chief shall become the servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. It is interesting. This passage is clearly portraying for you and I, who are believers, that Jesus was one who was of great humility. Now we understand why he allowed himself to be born in a manger instead of in a palace. His life was one of service. His life was one of humility. The words that he uses for the passage where he talks about ministering and servant are the words we get, diakonos, the table waiter, the one who runs and serves you in the restaurant. Or in churches, what's the office that's called diakonos? Deacon. The one who serves the body. Not to be served by the body, but to serve the body. And the other word that he uses for servant is the lowliest of all the servants in the household. That Jesus, he is saying, this is what I did. This is what I want you to become. I want you to become a lowly servant unto other people. That's his call. That's what he came to show us what to do. That when he was here on this earth, he came to help other people, to minister people. Did he expect them to come and sing, he shall reign forever and ever and come and laud him? That wasn't his purpose the first time. That will be what will happen the second time. But when he came the first time, he came to serve, to minister to people. How did he do that? Help me out here. How did Jesus minister or to assist people in his day? In a physical way, what, what things did he do? He did miracles. He healed them. He fed them. He washed feet. He raised the dead. Can you think of things? What else did he do for people? He taught them. What? He preached to them. I, you can list out the same things that I've listed out. How Jesus comforted people who were in pain and agony. At the threat of his own life, he goes to, do, to the city of Bethany to help out Mary and Martha when Lazarus dies. They have a warrant for his arrest. His disciples say, if we go, we're going to be arrested. We're going to die with you, Jesus, if we go there. But he went to minister to those ladies in the middle of their grieving. He's praying for individuals. He is receiving the children. The ones that people say, put them in the corner, they should be seen but not be heard. Jesus says, I want you to welcome them as if you're welcoming me. That's how we minister to individuals. We let them know that they're important to our lives. He taught them, as you mentioned. He reached out to the, the unlovely. He defended the guilty who were attacked. He even says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So he comes to serve. And if you and I are going to be Christian, Christ-like ones, he has already told us in this text, we got to do what he did. 
We got to have a humble spirit, not to be served by others, but to serve others. So Jesus came to show us what type of attitude we're to have a servant's heart, one that is willing to help out others. In John chapter 13, which somebody mentioned, John chapter 13, there's something that he says in this passage as he is washing the feet. So if you turn there with me, in John chapter 13, wonderful passage, you all know the story that they're there the night before he dies. They come in and they're having the last supper together. And it was customary that the lowliest one in the household would wash the feet of everybody who just came walking down the road and entering into the house. And nobody did it for Jesus because we read that as they were headed for this meal, they were arguing amongst themselves who should be the greatest, who is going to get the best recognition. And none of them were humble enough to wash one another's feet. They were quick to accuse the others when he said, one of, me, one of you is going to deny me. And their response was, I won't do it, but maybe they would. Peter says, yea, every one of them will, but I'll never deny thee. They were quick to attack one another, to suspect one another, to accuse one another. But to wash one another's feet? No. But Jesus, in the midst of this meal, gets down, starts going about and washing their feet. And you know the story that Jesus did voluntarily. Nobody forced him. And he says when Peter says, you can't do it, he says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you don't have closeness with me. You don't have fellowship with me. So he's not hesitating in doing this task. He's doing it for men who within hours are going to deny him. But that didn't stop him from serving them. And then he ends up and he says at the end of this story, after it's all done and he sits back down, look at verse 13. You call me master master and Lord, and you say, well, for so am I, I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you, what's the Bible say? An example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. His point was, I came to serve. And in my service, I came to show you. This is the reason he came. For us who are believers, not only to save us, but additional benefits were, I want to share with you. I want to help you. I want to sympathize with you. I want to be here. I want to serve. But I want to show you how to conduct your life. Follow my example. Multiple times we find this, that Jesus walked in such a way to give us an example of how we should respond. We read, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. In that context, it is acting like him when we are going through difficult times. We read elsewhere, what we just read, you should do as I have done to you. We read in 1 John, he that says he abides in him, you say you follow Christ, you say you love him, you ought also walk as he walked. And then we start exploring scriptures and saying, in what areas? In what ways did he give us an example? Oh, that's clear. He told us multiple times, he said, that we're supposed to be able to love one another as I have loved you. I have sacrificed for you. The one who really loves is willing to give his life for his brethren. 
We're supposed to love the way Jesus loved. We're to be patient with one another the way Jesus was patient. We're to love enough that we teach one another the way Jesus taught. Do you? He says in scriptures, brings it up, he says, we're supposed to forgive one another as Christ forgave us, providing us an example of how to forgive when somebody offends us. When family member, when church member, when fellow believer upsets us. We read in scriptures that he gave us the example on how we're supposed to pray. That as he prayed, then he says to the disciples, pray in this fashion, our Father which art in heaven. He gave husbands an example of how they're supposed to treat their wives. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. His life was an example. It was a pattern for us to follow. When it comes to temptations... How we should resist. We should be prayerful ahead of time. When we're under onslaught, we should say no. When we're under attack, we should use scriptures to defend ourselves and put God first above all the pleasures that are presented before us. He gave us an example. How to obey parents. When he went down and was subject unto his parents, even though as a teenager, they didn't understand him. When they say, what have you done to us? And he says, don't you know I must be about my father's business? And yet, he goes home and obeys and is respectful. He gives an example how to care for our elderly parents. In the midst of his own agony on the cross, he, he is kindly caring for his mom and giving, making sure that she is provided for. He gives us examples on how to be zealous to make sure that the gospel is presented clearly when the temple was being corrupted by businesses, the religious, so the, the religious um, institution of the temple where they couldn't even use our foyer area, the temple courtyard area. They couldn't get through because of the animals and the noise. And so the Gentiles couldn't hear the gospel. He twice goes in there, overthrows the tables, and he says, you have made my father's house a den of thieves where it is to be a place of prayer, a place of witness. We should protect, make sure the gospel is being presented with clarity and make sure that is our purpose as individuals and as an organization. He gave us an example on what to do when it is difficult to do God's will, which it is. It is hard at times to do God's will. That's why Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. It's not easy to live for the Lord. It's not easy to follow in believers' baptism. It's not easy to train your children according to the Word of God. It's not easy to keep working at that marriage when friends and society says, if you don't like it, bail. It's not easy to have integrity at your workplace. It's not easy to be consistent in worship. But he gave us an example we read about in the book of Hebrews, we read this phrase of looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The word author is the one who's pioneering, the one who went first, the one who opened up the roadways. He says, who for the joy that was set before him. He's not saying that Jesus thought the cross was an was a easy bed of path to lay in and to walk down. The cross was hard, but for the joy that was set before him. 
what was on the other side, being able to save you, being able to redeem you, being able to have himself restored to the Father and ascended on high. Therefore, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. And he is now set down at the right hand of God. And the author said, Jesus did that. He did the will of God, even though it was difficult, because he took the long look. And the author tells us, right after that, for consider him that endured, lest you become weary and faint in your own minds. The word consider has the idea of looking at the allegory, looking at the parallel, and making sure that you understand that what Jesus did is gave you an example on how to serve the Lord. Hey, listen, this all fits exactly what God has decreed. God has predestinated every one of us who is a believer that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that we would become more like Him, act like Him, live like Him, speak like Him, love like Him, forgive like Him, worship like Him, pray like Him. So the question is, if this is God's will, that we follow His example, how are you doing? How much like Christ have you been acting this past year? How much like Christ do you talk to people around you? How much like Christ is your spirit in tune with God the Father? The story is very clear that we're supposed to be like Christ, like the woman who lived up in Nova Scotia. She's working in the shoe store, and she sees there's a kid who has tattered shoes outside on the grate in the wintertime. And she thinks, you know, this child may need some help, and maybe I could give him a pair of our shoes that we're selling just to help out this kid. But if I go out, what about the customers who are inside? And she feels great. And that, you know how that is? You think all these thoughts in a moment's time. And she's giving herself excuses for not going out and being charitable. But she thought, what would Christ do? So she got a pair of shoes and she walked out to this kid who was standing over that grate where the heat was coming up from the bakery next door. And she said, you know, could you use a pair of brand new shoes? The kid just was awestruck. Really, for me? And she says, yeah. And he said, are you God's wife? And she says, no, I'm just one of his kids. And he, the child said, I knew you had to be related to him somehow. And the child ran off. Has anybody seen God in you of late? Have they seen Christ acting out in your life? Where they pause and they think, you are different from the rest of the world. You love differently. You are patient differently. You have morals that are different. You reflect God. Well, that's what he did. He came to show us how we're supposed to do that. He came to save me. I'm thankful that he did. Amen? He came to sympathize, to share with me so that he could give me the help and you the same. He came to serve and to show us how we should act and serve. But there's something else that he came to show us. Not only how to live, he came to show us God. Nobody had seen God before this. No man had seen God ever. But Jesus makes it clear that when the only begotten come, he revealed God to people. What God was like. Holy, 
glorious, powerful, loving. Jesus says to the crowd about him, if you would know me, you would know the Father. Jesus came, it was the image of the invisible God, God in the flesh. Jesus, who in whom all the Godhead, the fullness dwelt. Jesus said, all things are delivered unto me and my, by my Father. He says, no man knows the Son, but the Father. Neither knows any man the Father, but the Son. And to he whom the Son will reveal the Father. That's us. He came to reveal the Father to us. In that lengthy discussion where he is saying, I go to prepare mansions for you, and if I go and prepare, I will receive you unto myself. Do you remember Philip says, Lord, how is this possible? How do we know where you're going? If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him that has seen me, and have seen me, have seen him, excuse me. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be enough. Just give us a glimpse of God the Father, and we'll be fine. Jesus said, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me, he does these works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. I am revealing God to you. And as such, Jesus relayed to us the greatness, the glories, the glamour of God. We know that at this Christmas season, He was Emmanuel, which is God with us. So what do we do with all of it? What do we do with all these thoughts of why Jesus came? Well, if He is God, then we take Him at His word. He came to save you. You ought to ask Him to be your Savior. We who have already done that, we take Him at His word and we understand He is the Helper sitting in heaven waiting for us to come and say, help me, guide me, strengthen me, and he will. He has given us an example on how to be Christ-like, how to serve other people, how to minister. And being not only all of that, he is our God. He is Jehovah in the flesh. What should we do? We should be worshiping Him. This day, as we celebrate His birth, we should remember that this child in the manger is more than a child. He deserves our praise, our worship. And while we close by singing this beautiful song with different words, watch the words. They talk about His sacrifice. They talk about the cross. As we sing... If you are here today and you do not know Christ as your Savior, you can make your way over to this door, to the back door, and one of our staff will meet you. And they will take you aside and show you from the Bible how you can call upon Christ right now, this day, to accept His Christmas gift, His gift of salvation. You are born again. Join me as we sing about this great Jesus that deserves our worship our glory. Oh God, thank you, thank you, thank you that Christ came. Thank you. 
that he can be our Savior and we can own him by your grace. Help us not to get over that, to have that joy, that thrill of being one of your children. Bless this day as we go about with family, rejoicing in what you have given us. Thank you. We love you. Merry Christmas, God. Happy birthday, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for being here. Merry Christmas.